So as I said, we're going to look at Psalm 19 this morning um, and, and during the call to worship, and we looked at the first six verses. Um, in there, and I'll just kind of recap for just for the recording and for anybody who wasn't paying close attention, I guess. Um, but in the first six verses, you know, we see the, the, the revelation of God in nature or what we would call general revelation. Um, and that, that revelation communicates to us general truths, not specific truths. Um, and we saw how it opened with the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Um, so what we see is that, that, that nature... Um, that the, the, the heavens, you know, it declares that there is a God, right? That there has to be a creator, and we talked about that. Um, but notice what it says, is that it doesn't say the heavens declare there is a God. It says the heavens declare the glory of God. Um, so it's, but it's not that the first part isn't true. It is true that the heavens declare that there's a God, and Romans 1, we'll look at it in a minute, talks about that. But what it also does is it declares that there um, the glory of God, um, the, the glory or the greatness, uh, the word is like the, the importance or weightiness. So it doesn't just declare that there's this, this being, it says there's an important, great, weighty being. Um, so it's telling us even more. So as we talk about, as amazing as the sun and the stars are, the one who spoke them into existence must be um, even more uh, amazing. And we have like up on the screen Romans 1, um, verse 20, where the Apostle Paul is talking about creation and things that are evident. And, and he says that God's eternal power and divine nature um, have been clearly perceived since the creation of the world, right, in the things that have been made. He's making the point, what you see shows that there is a God. And, and there's a conclusion to that, that is why all are without excuse, it says. So no one can argue, you know, at Judgment Day, you can't stand before God and say, I didn't know. No one can say, I didn't know that there was a God. I, you know, it is evident to everybody because of creation. Um, there is someone who we are subject to as created beings. Um, and if we fail to honor him, as Romans 1 talks about, you know, we are going to face judgment for that. But the focus of this morning is going to be on 7 through 14 of Psalm, Psalm 19. So let's go back to there. Um, I'll read through, seven through verses 7 through 14, and then we'll um, talk about it. it. says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So beginning in verse 7, we, we see a transition. We had the first six verses we talked about, general revelation, revelation of God in nature. Starting in verse 7, you're going to have what's called, in theology, special revelation. 
Um, revelation that is detailed or specific. Um, revelation that has words, unlike um, general revelation. And the word of God is special revelation. God directly communicating you know, to man, right? And it gives us details that, that general revelation doesn't have. Special revelation can communicate his justice, his holiness, his mercy, his love, his goodness, his grace, compassion, faithfulness. Um, it, can, it tells us about, you know, like I said, his holiness. Tells us about our sin problem. Shows us about his mercy. Tells us about the Messiah, the one who came to pay the penalty to, on the cross for our sins of all who would believe. The necessity of faith and, and repentance. And then also how we should live and, and on and on that 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 specific or special revelation gives us. So in what we see in, in these, these verses, and in verses 7 through 9, in particular what we'll look at first, is there are six statements here. There's, there's kind of a parallelism, but there's six statements going on about God's special revelation or about his word, his revelation to man, right? And each statement will have a kind of a description of his word at the first part, and then a characteristic um, and then an effect or benefit of his word. So we'll have six descriptions, six characteristics, and six effects. And, and I sorted it this way in your notes so you can see the descriptions, the law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, commandments of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the rules of the Lord. And then the characteristics, perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, and true. And then the effects or benefits. Reviving the soul, making wise the simple, rejoicing the heart, enlightening the eyes, enduring forever and righteous altogether. Um, But the first thing I kind of wanted to point out uh, in the psalm, or in this little section of it, about this, is that this is something that is true of God's word, and only God's word, right? It's not saying the law is perfect, precepts, commandments are, are are, are pure, rules are true, you know? It's, it's, we don't want to miss that phrase that we have highlighted there. Everything is about the law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the precept of the Lord. This is about God's revelation to us, and only God's revelation to us is, is are these things true. You know, there can be good laws, right laws, and, and maybe, I guess, close to a perfect law, but you know, not the whole. Um, but these, God's word is going to be a reflection of his character, which is perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, and true. So his word is going to be perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, and true. Because everything he does is going to reflect his character. Um, So we're going to work through each one of these, and then we'll continue on in the psalm after that. So the first one is the law of the Lord, or literally the, 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 not the the Old Testament law, literally means the Torah of the Lord, um, which means the teaching of the Lord, the doctrine, the instruction of the Lord. So it's more comprehensive than just like the Old Testament law in the first five books of the Old Testament. So the instruction or teaching of the Lord. Um, in other words, the word of God. And the instruction or teaching of the Lord is perfect. All of it. Not some of it. There's not a few errors in there. No, all of it um, is perfect. Now, we use the word perfect. I mean, at least I use when I use the word perfect. Um, primarily, I, I think of like, you know, without error. That is, that is perfect. You know, it, it, it has no defect. Um, if we watch Olympics, you know, you might have a routine, like a gymnast gets a perfect score because they do everything they're required to do and there's no errors or defects in their routine. So, and Hebrew uses it the same way um, of that, of without error or defect. 
But there is also a, a, a second sense of, of how the word is used. And it's also used in the terms of like completeness or whole or entire. Um, and, and it makes sense. It's kind of closely related. Something without defect or error has everything it needs. It, it's complete. It's whole. So while, yes, God's word is without error, without defect, it's also complete or whole. And some people struggle with this. What, what does that mean? What do you mean God's word is complete? You know, um, theologians call it, it is sufficient, is, is the word they will use, meaning it tells us everything we need to know about God and mankind and how to live. Okay, so it tells us everything we need to know. Or, um, but it doesn't mean it tells us everything. We, right? we know we go to the word of God and we're not going to learn certain things in science or, or history or you know, other subjects. It's not telling us everything about everything, but it's telling us everything we need to know pertaining to our salvation, pertaining to life on this earth and to godliness. So scripture is sufficient. Um, but, so the law of the Lord, the, the instruction, teaching of the Lord is perfect. And now we get to this, this, the first benefit, and, and it's very rich of what it's, what it's pu- telling us. The benefit is that it revives the soul. Um, the New American Standard translates it restoring the soul. And the English Standard Version that we're using actually translates the same phrase that way in, in Psalm 23. It translates it restoring the soul. So in, in the sense of to turn back, to return um, the soul, um, it, it, it can be used in, in a sense to, to mean salvation, you know, like the, the, the wayward person being turned back, being restored to right relationship with God. So you have that aspect of restoration. You also have what the ESV is picking up here of this reviving of, of you know, if, you know, when circumstances and trials are driving us down and, and we're, in, we're hitting the bottom, that we can go to the word of God and it renews our soul. It, it, it gives us new, new life, new energy. It revives us, um, gives us a vitality. So it has kind of two aspects. And, and I don't think we have to figure out, is it this one or that one? Um, that the word of God is going to do both, and that's clear in the Psalms. And, and, um, and I think sometimes in poetry, that's meant to be that way. It, there's meant to be a little bit, does he mean that or that? I think he, you know, and, and that it, there's a little bit of both going on. But, you know, that's what the word of God can do to us. Um, John 17, we, we should know that. Sanctify them in truth, your word is truth. So the word of God is what the spirit uses to restore us, to give us life. It's what the, the word of God is what's used to regenerate us at salvation. Um, so that first one of the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Second one here is the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So the testimony of the Lord. Um, you may have, if I think NIV uses statutes of the Lord. Um, this is a truth that's attested to by God. Um, and that's why we have the, the sense of testimony there. God's testifying to its truthfulness. Um, MacArthur calls it a divine witness, calls it, you know, and so it's, it's you know, carrying that idea of testifying to the truth. Others see it a little differently. Um, one commentator I looked at it notes that this is the way the Ten Commandments are described. They're talking about, you know, to bring the testimony in Exodus. You know, but the Ten Commandments, if we think back, were, you know, what God actually wrote on the tablets, right? So, I mean, he is testifying because there's, there's no, 
we'll say, transmission issue there, right? It's not somebody getting revelation from God. This is God directly putting it on the tablet and then giving it to man, right? So it's a divine witness that these are, without doubt, his Ten Commandments um, that God wrote and attested to by himself. Um, you know, and, and, and the scripture, all of the word of God um, fits under this, that, you know, that God is attesting to it. And, and in his word tells us that it is um, without error. Um, and that it is also sure, that it is faithful, that it's firm, that it's lasting, um, it's, it's established, it's reliable, um, it's not going to change. That's the wonderful part of the revelation we have of God. God doesn't change, his word's not going to change, because um, it's a reflection of his character. So the testimony of the Lord is sure, and it makes wise the simple. Whether we like to acknowledge it or not, that is all of us. <laughs> we are the simple Apart from Christ, we don't have it all together, right? We don't, we don't have understanding of these things. Um, and in Hebrew, you probably heard it before, simple has the concept of like open door. Things go in, things go out. There's, there's really no, not only is there like no filter, but there's just no discernment. You know, I mean, it's like, you know, not really knowing what is right or wrong. Um, and then you see that reflected in the world, those who've reflect, you know, rejected Christ, you see this just all over the place on what is right and wrong and just, we don't want to go there, but just a mess, right? Um, But God's word is sure and it makes wise the simple. So it takes us from that original condition uh, of of lacking discernment and it's a process over time as we spend time in his word, we gain wisdom. by When meditating on it, when we apply it in our lives, the spirit uses it to transform us. So there's a process of making us wise, how thankful we are for that. The third description of the way it presents the word of God is the precepts of the Lord. Um, in Psalm 119, I didn't put it on the screen, but Psalm 119.4 says, you have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. And the idea there of precepts are the rules, you know, the rules of the Lord. Um, their statutes is how some, we don't, I don't think, we don't use that. We, I think we think of rules a lot better than statutes. But um, the rules, the commands, um, these are synonyms in here, but all of them are right, it says. All of them are right. They're correct. They're trustworthy. Um, the word literally means straight or level. Um, but God word, God's word puts us on the straight path. Um, the upright path, not a crooked path, is, is, is the way Hebrew tries to, to give us a picture of it. Straight versus crooked, uh, level versus unleveled. But, but God's word, being correct and trustworthy, um, puts us on the, the straight or level path. The next effect or benefit of the word of God is that it re, you know, rejoices the heart, rejoicing the heart. Um, to the world, when, when, they, when they talk about God's word and God's commands, it's, it's anything but that. We, the world doesn't, you know, see it as rejoicing the heart. You know, the unsaved person and even, you know, us before salvation, we kind of were like, no, you're putting rules, restrictions, we're chafing against it, we're fighting against it, it's a burden, it, it makes no sense, you know. But to those who put their faith and trust in Christ for their salvation, those who've been redeemed, the word of God is completely different. It, it, is, it should be a source of joy to the heart um, to know that we can know what it is that we need to do that, that pleases God. We know what it is that displeases God, what to not do. Um, we know 
and we can't, you know, summarize it. We know the, the power of the Holy Spirit in our life and using the word and all of how that works. Um, so it becomes a source of joy and delight um, for us. And we find out as we obey it, it creates, you know, joy. And when we, we learn it and see it and disobey it, we don't have that joy, right? Um, so there's implied here that, that there's a, a proper response to the word of God, right? And that's true of all of them. I mean, just someone hears the word doesn't mean their soul's been revived or restored. It's only, you know, through salvation there. And it, it, just because somebody hears the word, people go to church all the time, and it's not making them wise because they haven't come to salvation. They haven't put their faith and trust in Christ. And same here. It's like it's not going to be a rejoicing um, in that unless they've done that. But anyways, the commandment of the Lord is the fourth thing. The commandment of the Lord. It's a little weird to me is that it's singular, not plural, because... I would have kind of expected plural, but I mean, some of these are, some of these aren't. You see um, that, but, you know, it doesn't mean that there's a specific command that it's talking about and, and none of, not all the other ones. Um, everybody I looked at said, no, you, you see it as a broad, encompassing thing. It's still meaning all of them. I'm like, okay. Um, so it's referring to the whole of God's words, all of his commands. Obviously, the word command, we, we know um, we think of in the military, if you have a, you know, someone's given a command, I mean, it's, it's not this optional thing. There's, there's, we, we don't get the choice to accept or reject. We have this command and we are to do it and it's coming from a higher authority and we're supposed to do that. Um, when we don't do it, it's just like in the military, you're going to be in big trouble if you <laughs> reject a command you're supposed to do, you know. Um, but in, in our lives, when we do it, we're actually, if you think about it, we're, we're setting ourselves above God. When, when we have a command from God, and he's the authority, and we go, eh, I don't know, I don't really want to do that, we're kind of going, let's take him, move him down here, let's put ourselves up at the top, and what I think is mattering more than what he thinks, right? It's just, it's an outright rebellion. Um, it's not just an oops, you know, or eh, maybe I thought of that wrong. It's, it's displacing him from his proper position and putting yourself there, um, putting our authority and rules over him. But... The word of God is the commands of God, and, and, and the word of God's commands, the commandments in there are pure. The word of God as a whole is pure. It's without any impurity, right? We know that. That's how we use the word pure. Um, there's no, no pollution, no imperfection, like a metal refined completely. It, it's 100% pure, um, and, and God's word is, is the same way. It is pure. Fourth effect or benefit is that it enlightens the eyes um, or gives light to the eyes. Some see this a little differently. So there's two, a couple of different ways of how this is seen. Um, if, if you say enlightening the eyes or give lights to the eyes, some will, will, will understand that as kind of giving guidance. Um, it's, it's like, uh, like the, the word of God light, giving light to our path, right? Um, the word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. So some say, okay, no, this is about direction. It, it tells us and shows us that. And God's word certainly does that. You know, is that what he means? Um, others that I came across saw it as more um, similar to how some see reviving the soul. Um, it's, it's giving light to the eyes. Um, and that, that phrase is used... Um, we did cover that. Phil went through that, right? I think with, when, in Samuel, 1 Samuel, when, when Jonathan eats the honey, they're out in battle, and Saul says, nobody eat until this battle's done, and blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, that, 
Jonathan didn't even know the command, but he sees some honey and he eats the honey and it gives him this renewed, fresh energy, right? Um, then, then things happen because of that, but, but that it's that concept there. So I don't, you know, I don't think people hold to that view and then see reviving the soul the same. It's, it's, um, they don't think it was repeating here, um, but those who hold to reviving the soul being more of a restoration then see this as that giving energy. And the word of God certainly does that. We know that it, it revives and gives energy when we go to that, when we're down. Um, so once again, is, is, do we have to say it's either that or this or both are true? Um, I would go with the first probably, um, that it's more about God's word as a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, showing us the way. Um, but, you know, we can't, these aren't all encompassing of, of the, the effects and benefits of God's word. It's just giving us a taste in a, in a poetic way to just have a see its, its greatness. The fear of the Lord. This is, this is a challenge, and, and it, it still is a challenge to me as I looked at it, because it seems to break the pattern. I mean, you have these synonyms, the law, the testimony, the precepts, the commandments, the rules, the fear of the Lord. How, how is that, that doesn't seem synonymous to the word of God. Um, so then, so the people that say, well, it isn't, you know, and, and they just go with it and say, hey, he broke the pattern, he can do that. You know, it's, it's part of how it works. Um, and that it's really a benefit. So then you kind of Kind of messes up my sermon structure, so I didn't, I didn't go with it that way. Uh, no, but that, and and we know from the rest of Scripture about the fear of the Lord being the beginning of wisdom, um, that it's an attitude we have to have, you know, in relation to God and in relation to His Word. We should be in in a reverential awe of God. We should be in submission to God and to His Word. Um, all that is true, um, but is that really what He's saying here? You know, is he breaking the pattern or not? Um, the, the, I guess the challenge with that is then it would make the attitude clean. That attitude would then be clean and enduring forever. And that's where I kind of was like, I don't know that that's what it's saying. You know, I, I couldn't quite piece that together. It may be, but I couldn't get there in, in my limited mind. So I, it, was, it, it seems to make more sense to me that he... He is not breaking the pattern, that it's still one of the descriptions, um, and that it's still a synonym for the word, just not in a way we would use it. Um, um, and therefore, you know, I, I don't know that I can explain it beyond that, but that's just the, 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 the conclusion I came to, because the other didn't make sense. Um, but that the, the, the word of God, then, or fear of the Lord, is clean, would then be the characteristic. Um, and Clean is, is kind of what may pop into your mind and when you think of the Bible and clean and unclean and, and ceremonial law and things like that. Um, unclean things are unacceptable to God, right? And, and the clean things are acceptable to God or been set aside for God. Um, and saying, so the fear of the Lord is acceptable. So I would think, I see it as, as more of that the word of God being clean and acceptable, um, you know, certainly the fear of the Lord is clean and acceptable too. And just the, that attitude is, is certainly, you know, acceptable versus unacceptable. So I'm, I'm comfortable if somebody leans more that way. Um, the, the effect or benefit then of it, the fear of the Lord, is that it endures forever. If it's meaning God's word, God's word endures forever. We know that throughout scripture. It doesn't change. It won't pass away. Um, you know, if it's an attitude of the fear of the Lord, I mean, there, there's certainly a sense or truth that if, if, 
if we have been saved and redeemed um, and we can't lose our salvation, that it's going to endure forever. So that, that fear and reverential awe of God is certainly going to endure forever as well. Um, that won't pass away throughout all eternity. Sixth is the rules of the Lord. Um, the NIV translates that ordinances of the Lord. It can mean judgments or verdicts. Um, you know, and we know a rule carries that idea of a judgment or verdict in, in our language as well. Um, and it also dis- carries an idea of, of, of judging what is good, what is not, what's acceptable, what's not. Um, so it, it, it's, you know, the, the rules or the ordinances uh, of, of the word of God, you know, are true. I, that there's nothing really to explain on that. I think we get it. It's like I don't have to parse a word or whatever. God's word is true, you know. Um, all of his commands to us are true, every single one. Uh, and what a source of joy that is. And, and then it's what it's saying is, is they, they are true and they're, they're righteous altogether. They're, they're, they're not only righteous individually, they're, they're, they're righteous corporately together. So they're individually righteous and then as a whole they are righteous. Um, and how wonderful that is uh, about the word of God. So, and as helpful as this is, um, I think, and encouraging it is, and a good reminder of, it, of what it is about the Word of God and, and, and its, its characteristics, its effects or benefits, this isn't where the psalm ends. It's not like he said, I brought you here, this is the conclusion, this is the climax of everything. Um, it's not there. The psalm is building, okay? The psalm is started with, with general revelation of what we saw of God in nature, and, and, and that is amazing. We don't need to discard that or, or disregard it in any way. It's amazing, but we don't stop there. We don't just stop with, my spiritual life is about enjoying God in nature. Um, it goes to this special revelation in the Word of God, um, and it's even more amazing. It's more specific, more detailed, telling us all these things, that it's you know, perfect, sure, and right, pure, clean, and true. But it doesn't stop there. There's more for us, right? There, there needs to be more going on. Um, so then it transitions, or it, well, it doesn't transition, continues on. It breaks that, that whole parallel pattern that we had of those, of those six things. But in verse 10, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. And we don't want the, the, the greatness of the poetry to miss the point of, of what he's saying. That, that the word of God, the commands of God, all, the whole of the word of God is to be more desired than gold. Not just a little gold or even, you know, some, you know, so, you know, low quality gold. No, high quality gold and a lot of high quality gold. Okay. It is valuable. The word of God is valuable. And, and it's also, you know, so it's to be desired more than that, right? And that, that word of desire is, not, is actually the word covet. And, and when you think in, in the Bible of the word covet, it's like, I can't think of too often that's used in a good way. That is usually used in a very bad way, right? Something re- re- regarding our, uh, this sinful desire for something you're not supposed to have. That's something that God has said no and has forbidden us. Um, but here, he's, he's, in a sense, he's bringing in all of that concept of consuming, lustful desire that covet has with it, but he's using it in a good way, in a holy way, right? We should long for God's word 
with that intensity, with the intensity of like a, a sinner coveting sin um, that he's just obsessed with. Um, we should long for it. Like, when, you know, back in Joshua, when Achan sees the treasure in Jericho and, and he just has to have it and, and takes it and buries it in his tent. You know, it's just a consuming desire. And that's what the word of God should be for us, right? A consuming desire that we just have to have. And when we, desire, and then we partake of it, it's sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. It is so enjoyable for us. That's where he's building to. But he continues on. Um, not only is it you know, desirable in terms of its value and, and its enjoyment, um, he tells us, moreover, he tells us, he's not done, moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. So in, in, we have, actually in this verse, this is the first time the psalmist is even, is, is even mentioned. You know, everything's been about God's revelation, special in general. Um, but this is the first time the psalmist is even mentioned in here, and he dis- declares himself God's servant, your servant. Um, and I don't miss that. He's not just using it as a way of just, just re- referring to himself. I think it, it, it's, it's capturing that submission um, that reverential awe based on God's general revelation and his special revelation of understanding his relationship to God. And that's what he is. That's what David is to God. He is a servant. Um, that's what we are. If we are in Christ, we are a servant uh, of God. And that's the proper response that we should have um, when we read God's word is that we are his servant. Then he gives us a positive and a negative here. Um, By them is your servant warned and keeping them there is great reward. So the first half, um, you know, by them, by the, the word of God, in the word of God, we are warned, right? He warns us of consequences of, of disobedience, of that we're going to reap what we sow, or that certain behaviors, you know, are going to have negative consequences. You can think of the, the Proverbs and, and, and adultery and how that, it's like, it, you know, and lust becoming this this burning in the in the in, in the chest and how it it can't leave you untainted is, is what it kind of leads to um, but there's always a consequence to sin and there's a there's an earthly consequence that the word of God gives us over and over but there's also eternal consequences um, rewards different things that that are affected um, when we chose to sin um, but then the positive side in keeping them there is great reward um, I don't know if you noticed I mean those benefits were what those were those were Benefits about really now, not benefits uh, in, 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 in eternity um, that we went through, right? The reviving of the soul, you know, that, that's, a, that's an earthly benefit, um, right? Um, the, making wise the simple is totally a here and now, rejoicing the heart, enlightening the eyes, enduring forever. These are, these are earthly benefits. Um, but there's also eternal benefits of, of walking in obedience to the word of God, and we know that. So then it continues to build. It, you'd think that might, be the, that might be the climax. That might be the end of it. And it isn't, you know, as he gets to verse 12. Um, and, and, and that's what the psalmist wants us to see. He want, we, he's, wanting, he's bringing us along, and we're just stay with him here. The last three verses are a prayer by the psalmist to the Lord. And, and that makes sense. I mean, when the general revelation, special revelation, and all of that in the word of God should drive us to... Um, to our knees, to drive us to prayer to him. Um, so we see his concern is here, right? Right in verse 12. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. 
he recognizes that, you know what, I could be blind to my own sin. I, I, I could do that at times. I may not be able to discern my own errors. Um, but he wants to be declared innocent of those things. Um, he wants to be innocent of doing them, and then he wants to, to be, you know, obviously forgiven for them. Both is going on. Um, but he wants to be innocent of, of really even committing that, right? He doesn't want to, to walk in disobedience, even in a way he's not aware of. Um, so the word of God should really drive us as we, as we read it and spend time in it to the right application, right? It's not about just seeing the, the glory of God in creation and going, wow, or seeing his word going, this is impressive. I mean, it, it needs to, to have a response in us, and the proper response, you know, is, is confession. Um, it drives us, you know, to humility. Um, and then he says, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. So it's a different kind of sin going on here. In verse 12, it was kind of, this is the sin, verse 12 is the sin that he's not aware of, right? It, it, it's the one he, he, he doesn't see. Um, and verse 13 is, is really the other end of the spectrum in, in my mind. These are the, the ones that he knows ahead of time and he still went straight ahead and did it, you know. Um, these are deliberate sins. So you go from the totally, I don't even know about it, to I did that totally on purpose. I can't deny it. I, I know it was wrong, and I still did it. Um, and he doesn't want those to have dominion over him. Um, those are the type of sins that will do that, that will have dominion over you and will um, cause massive destruction in your life here on earth. Um, so he knows the harm they can cause. He knows that enslavement of sin you know, that comes with these type of things. Um, so he's, he's just praying, keep me back from that. Keep me away from any of that. You know? and, and that's what we want to use the word of God for, uh, is to, to root out things we don't know and then the things that we do know to, to be addressed um, in, of those type of sins. So then it closes, and, and then I shall be blameless and innocent of, of great transgression. Um, so if, referring to both sins, the, the hidden sins, the unknown sins, and the presumptuous sins, you know, um, that if he's avoiding those, or if he's done those, confessing those, then he shall be blameless and innocent of, of great transgression. So he knows he needs to avoid sin in any form. He knows when he does sin, he needs to, to be forgiven of it. And then his prayer closes in verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the focal point of the psalm, right? It's ending at the climactic focal point, right? He prays that the words of his mouth, as he's just expressed, you know, in those last couple verses, the meditations of his heart on, on God's general revelation, on God's special revelation, on, on God's, you know, commands in Scripture, all of Scripture, that that'll be acceptable to God, that it'll please him, Right? And then he, he can't help it, and, and, he, and this is really, the, the, like I said, the climax. He can't help but remind us of who God is, right? He wants those words and meditation of his heart to be acceptable in your sight, and he doesn't end, oh Lord, oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer, right? And, and really, I, I think we talked about in the call to worship a week or two ago of how a lot of times these phrases are used that, that can, can be about a physical deliverance, about a physical rock or refuge and a physical redemption and saving him in a difficult situation. There's nothing like that going on here. There's nothing about physical. This is pure 
about his spiritual deliverance, that God is his spiritual rock and that God is his redeemer, right? And that's what he wants to drive us to. Um, So we don't in life want to be, you know, missing, um, or we don't want to be stopping early on this process. We don't want to be like, oh, and there's nothing wrong with going, oh, I love to go out in nature and, and just think on God's greatness. And that is good to do, but that's not the end, right? We can do it. We should still do it. But it's, the, in a sense, the lesser of the greater things, right? That God's word is even greater, you know, and we should spend time in it and reading it. But it's not just reading it that is the end, right? It's letting it have its effect in us, that transforming effect, driving us to our knees to confession, to praise, when that is the, is the key thing um, that we should have. Um, you know, Davis, and I, I really struggled whether I should use this earlier in the psalm or not, but Davis, Delroth Davis kind of describes the, song, the psalm as what we see, what we hear, and what we say. And I like simple things, but what we see, we, we see the heavens declare the glory of God, right? What we hear, we hear the word of God. Um, and and, and we, we see its characteristics, its effects, its value, its enjoyment. And what we say, those first two things should lead us to wanting to avoid sin and to have all of our speech and the meditation of our heart to be pleasing to the Lord, to our rock and our redeemer. So let's close in prayer this morning. Father, we just ask that you really open our eyes to your truth this morning. As we've looked at the psalm, Psalm 19, and and what he's trying to say to us, how he's trying to bring us along with him to this conclusion. Um, It is good that we marvel at your greatness, um, that your general revelation is just continually pouring out, gushing out, that it is on display. Um, We should see your glory in it. We should see your greatness, your importance. May we do that, but may we not only do that. May we not stop there. May we spend time in your word and see and be amazed at at the the characteristics of it, how it's described, uh, um, how it is perfect and sure and right and, and pure and clean and true. And, and the effects it has on our life of, of restoring or reviving the soul and giving us wisdom and, and joy and, and energy and, and wisdom and, and guidance. And God, we thank you for that. We love that. But may we not stop there either. May, may it continue to, to go further. May it drive us to wanting to, to pursue sanctification through your Holy Spirit, to clean out the sin in our lives, to, be, to know the hidden faults, to, to avoid the presumptuous sins. God, we thank you that your word does that if we respond to it right, if we meditate and pray on it and apply it to our lives. And God, may we not at all miss the focal point of this, is that you are our rock and our redeemer. We do not bring anything to our salvation. It is all through your son, Jesus Christ. When we cry out and say, I am a sinner in need of forgiveness. God, please, through the perfect life of Christ, apply that life to us. Apply that obedience to us. Apply his paying the penalty for our sins to us. It's only when we do that that we are saved. 
God, we thank you for what you have done for us through your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for your word and the richness of it. And we pray that this, this psalm will drive us to spend more time in it. We thank you for even the general revelation that we have outside. And may we just continue to marvel at your, at your glory. Thank you for our time together in your word. We pray that it will bear much fruit this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.